Hello and welcome to The HOA Show, where we discuss the news, problems, trends, and critical issues relating to life in a homeowner association. Join us every episode, and together we'll explore how to survive and thrive in the dizzying world of HOAs. Hello and welcome to The HOA Show. I'm your host, Ryan Gazelle, and we have a very special episode for you here today. We have Tim Klein and longtime State Farm agent Eric Little. They'll be discussing how your personal home insurance policy works alongside your master insurance policy for the association that you live in. Eric Little has been a State Farm agent for 23 years. He's an active member of the Community Associations Institute. He and his family have been involved in ensuring common interest developments for over half a century. Eric is also involved in various charitable organizations, including his local Rotary Club, and he serves on the board of the Adventist Health Foundation. Tim Klein, as you know, is the founder of the Klein Agency Insurance Brokers, which specializes exclusively in common interest developments. So, without further ado, let's hear it from Tim and Eric. Thanks, Ryan. It's our good pleasure to introduce to you a good friend of mine, Eric Little. Eric is the most knowledgeable agent I've ever met with regard to coverage for individual unit owners in condominium associations. He knows these issues like the back of his hand. Eric is a State Farm agent. And there are a lot of carriers in a lot of different forms out there, but we're going to talk specifically about generally how coverages respond in terms of claims, but specifically how State Farm does uh, such a good job in terms of HO6s for individual owners and condominium associates. Welcome, Eric. Thank you, Tim. It is a pleasure to be here. I am wanting to put in this disclaimer that while I am an agent for State Farm, the opinions that I am sharing today are my personal opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of State Farm corporate. Eric, thank you for that. And we so appreciate you coming and speaking today. You know, I often wonder, as a practitioner who writes a lot of individual unit policies, what do you rely on most, the CCNRs or the master policy? Which would you rather have a copy of or would you rather have both? So that's a great question to start off with. And I would say that some of this has to do with at some point of how does your personal policy that you are selling as the agent responds. In my particular case, the company I represent says that we pay for betterments and improvements regardless of what the ccnrs say some ho6 forms that are out there will have language that limits their coverage based on what is said in the ccnrs again the particular company that i represent does not have that limitation so for me i usually like to see a disclosure form that's going to help me kind of give the earthquake recommendations in regards to what kind of potential assessment they have But in the short term, at least for the initial HO6 policy, I'm in a position where usually I just want to see what the coverage is. I want to know a little bit about the HOA master policy deductible. And then that's kind of what starts and guides my forming together the policy, the individual policy. Let's clarify just for the listeners that we're talking about now an HO6 form, which is a homeowner six, which is written for condominium residents, where the CCNRs require the association to ensure corporately the improvements for the individual unit owner to take care of those things not picked up by the master policy, which is kind of tricky. And then, of course, their contents, their loss of use, premises liability, and loss assessment. So those five coverages on a single form called an HO6 or individual unit owner policy. Yes, that is correct. And those uh, items, sometimes it's a very tricky thing to go through that with people because sometimes people uh, really kind of have it in their back of their head. They they really don't need it. It's like many things that you don't need it until you do. Uh, and when they do need it, then they want it to be as good as possible. But a lot of times, unfortunately, 
a significant portion of unit owners kind of get lulled into a sense of complacency because of the fact that the HOA is carrying its policy. And unfortunately, that's a very, very big mistake. It is a big mistake. And unfortunately, we're seeing higher and higher deductibles being passed on to individual unit owners. Could you explain how that could happen, Eric? Yeah. So as most people know, in California specifically, but also across the United States, uh, there is a very large increase that's occurring in many areas due to the likelihood of and belief, not just by individuals, but by insurers, that climate change is happening and it's happening at a more rapid pace. And that means more claims. That has, in fact, resulted in many HOAs seeing significant increases on the policy. And the only way to combat that many times for the HOA, uh, one way is to go with a much more significant deductible. So whereas 10, 15 years ago, we might have seen a 2,500 or a 5,000 deductible on a smaller, even a mid-size HOA or even a larger HOA, we're seeing now, even on small HOAs, deductibles at 10,000, 25,000. And when I mean smaller HOAs, I mean four or six unit HOAs, we're seeing 10,000 plus deductibles. And typically what that does sets up a situation where the unit owner will be responsible for everything underneath that deductible. So if it's 25,000, we are actually seeing deductibles out there from some large HOAs where there's $100,000 for wildfire or larger, and that's in the marketplace. So what that potentially could mean that if there was uh, damage, let's say there's a $25,000 deductible on the HOA and the insured has a fire on the inside of the unit, like in the kitchen, and it does $20,000 of damage, there's a possibility that the HOA won't be submitting any claim because it's going to fall beneath the deductible. The only way the individual unit owner can protect themselves against that situation is by having enough building property coverage on their individual HO6 policy. That's their only safety net, if you will, to keep that from happening. There's always a possibility the board could decide to cover it out of reserves, but I would tell people that is not a typical thing. That's very rare. Don't bet on that. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, depending on the board picking up that loss that might be under the large deductible, you know, the association actually has reserves for those types of things sometimes, right? But reserves are really set aside for replacement of elements that are at their normal lifespan, up to 30-year lifespan. So the board can make the decision to cover, but I certainly wouldn't bet on them. And Tim, I think it's important to kind of inject here what's trending in the HOA community. And what I see, and I'm sure your experience reflects this as well, is that 10, 20 years ago, we saw many boards where it wouldn't specify in the CCNRs whether or not they would take care of the betterments and improvements. But the trend has been, as insurance costs have gone higher and higher, that HOAs have literally been spending money to specifically exclude their responsibility for the interior of unit owners. And so the trend is not that more and more that HOAs are going to be generous and take care of that interior for the individual unit owner. The trend is that it's more and more likely that there's no coverage from the HOA policy as boards are moving to exclude having any responsibility for those interiors. Wow. You know, and the other interesting trend is that we found that six out of every 10 claims paid under master policy are due to unit owner negligence or a failure of the unit owner to maintain a component that's the obligation of the unit owner to fix it, repair, or maintain. So you've got a circumstance where there's a high likelihood 
the board's going to try to hold the unit owner responsible for the deductible anyway because it's either their failure to maintain an element or their negligence that caused the loss. And I think the board is correct in shifting that burden to the unit owner. Wouldn't you agree, Eric? I would. And, and really, it's just an issue of fairness because, unfortunately, as the market has gotten tighter and tighter, the, the consequences for HOAs are becoming greater and greater in regards to this. And it, there is an inclination by most boards that if they do not have to put in any kind of claim through the master policy, that by all means, they should try not to. And that's what's driving a lot of this behavior to go away from having the HOA be responsible for the interior. State Farm does pick up the master policy deductible under some separate language under the real property definition. I know there's some carriers out there that pick it up under the loss assessment. Loss assessment typically is levied against all owners in common. And this special assessment is due only to that owner's negligence or that owner's responsibility for the CCNRs. And so, you know, I think it would behoove anyone who's getting an HO6 quote to talk to their agent or broker specifically about the master policy deductible and clarify under what portion of the policy it will be covered and make sure that there's adequate limits for that $100,000 deductible if that's what it ends up being. That's a great point, Tim. Uh, I heard this as well. I, I tend to fall with your traditional definition of loss assessment that a loss assessment is an assessment assessed against all unit owners. So it's somewhat faulty. And, and, and the other issue here is that, you know, they usually sometimes there's certain companies that will do a very minimal amount of loss assessment. They may only do a ten dollars to $25,000 assessment coverage for a maximum. Uh, State Farm will go up to $100,000. In my, my particular company, we go up to $100,000. But I'm aware that many other carriers will only do about a ten or $25,000. And so that's something else that has to be kind of calculated into the equation when looking for that individual HO6 policy. So we're touching on a new coverage now, loss assessment coverage. Can you define generally what that loss assessment coverage is designed to protect against? The way I always like to explain it, Tim, I always like to tell people that it would cover a special assessment by the homeowners association for a covered loss, but that covered loss has to be something that would be covered under the individual HO6 policy. So if there was a fire, since fire is covered under an individual HO6 policy, it would also be covered under an assessment um, for that type of peril slash loss also. We would never cover an, a regular maintenance assessment, uh, or if you wanted to paint the fences uh, a darker shade of green, any kind of maintenance or upkeep, that's not covered under assessment. But any type of catastrophic or claim loss, that would be the type of claim that would be covered. And I like to use the example primarily of fire, uh, where there was a shortfall of money. If the, for whatever reason, the HOA burned to the ground and there was a $10 million shortfall and there was enough unit owners and it worked out to 30,000 uh, additional assessment per unit owner, that can be covered under the assessment coverage. Or drowning in the swimming pool. The, the distraught parents got a judgment far in excess of what the association maintained in terms of liability coverage. Would that be another potential example? Correct. Yeah, I, I like to use that example as well. The the significant either an accidental death in a common area, while there may be some protections about going after individual unit owners for those type of losses, it does not mean they can't be specially assessed. Right. And since an accident or death, trip and fall would be covered under the HO6 policy for the individual unit owner, an assessment for it happening to the HOA would also be covered. So these associations that are faced with wildfire limitations, uh, carriers that were providing $10 million worth of coverage for the community, but only $1 million worth of wildfire protection, that could be passed on to you? Absolutely. And, and I would put out there that it could be covered. And then that goes back to the point of why 
having significant loss assessment coverage is important. And going with 10,000 really is not that much coverage when you think about how much could come under, you know, a catastrophic loss to an HOA. I tell people, hopefully you're with a carrier that will give you at least 50. And if they can give you more, if they can give you 100, even better. Hopefully you have an agent as knowledgeable as Eric is. It's surprising to me how many HO6s we see still only have $1,000 for the loss assessment coverage. You got to be kidding me. $1,000 is nothing. And just to be clear, the reason they usually have that, Tim, is because the default model under the NAIC is that $1,000 of coverage. It literally, for most insurance agents, is going in and touching a button. And I'd also point out here that the difference in premium between, at least for my company, between 1000 which is you know the default minimum, and 100000 which is the maximum, is $15 a year on the regular policy. $15. Wow. One five. And so I like to tell people having this coverage as critical as it can be is not necessarily going to have to change your lifestyle. You're not going to have to give up going to Starbucks or anything like that because you want to have great coverage. It just takes an agent that understands that and will put that into your policy. Right. Now, you mentioned that all assessments won't be covered. And I had the unfortunate circumstance of buying into a condominium association when I was in my early 30s. That for the first three months I lived there, a special assessment from my proportionate share built a retaining wall around the entire project. Quite a hefty special assessment, one I wasn't expecting. And it was not a covered loss, unfortunately. Could you help me understand why it wasn't covered, Eric? Yes. So whenever you move into a common interest development, there are always going to be assessments. Some of those assessments will be regular assessments where they will be for the upkeep and maintenance. In your case, Tim, you actually had an assessment due to an improvement that needed to take place or repair. I had this happen with HOAs I've been involved with as well, where there's a significant project that needs to be undertaken. And hopefully, in some cases, the HOA has done a reserve study. And in that reserve study, they're putting money away for those larger projects. But that's not always the case. And boards not, aren't always diligent. So unfortunately, even with insurance, there are times when the board has not properly reserved. And, and since that's a uh, as I like to say, an eventuality and not an event, it's not going to be covered for an assessment either. Because insurance covers events, it doesn't cover eventualities. And so when the board fails to properly reserve money, it becomes an eventuality that something's going to have to be done to maintain or upkeep that. And so I always like to tell clients just a simple rule of thumb is that if whatever's going to happen is an eventuality where because it hasn't been maintained or, and it could even be it's just like your car. Your car eventually is going to have to be replaced. Your clothes look nice today, but eventually they will have to be replaced. At that time, you will not go to your insurance company and say, I need to get a new car or I need to get new clothes. And there's no difference with that with the HOA either is that they may need a new fence. They may need a new retaining wall. Those eventualities are things that hopefully people put money aside for in emergency funds. If you get into more financial background, you know, they say, hey, you should always have six months of income put aside or be saving for that. And I, unfortunately, that's one of those things that that gets spent on. Sure. Absolutely. Let's transition to a little bit more off the beaten path, and that is earthquake loss assessment coverage. And can you describe the difference between that and regular loss assessment coverage? Aren't they the same? Yes. Uh, they're both special assessments due to catastrophic loss. Where I would say it's a little different has to do with the HOA and whether the HOA carries earthquake insurance. So almost all HOAs, to my knowledge, usually have to have 
they hazard insurance for fire, wind, hail, smoke, and they need that in order to be able to qualify for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans. But there is no requirement as of yet anyway, or as of this moment, for any HOA to carry earthquake insurance. So this is where it becomes really critical for the agent who's doing the HO6 policy to have a knowledge of whether or not the HOA is carrying a master policy earthquake coverage or not. Because if they are not, then it's very easy to recommend what the earthquake coverage should be as far as loss assessment. It should be the maximum amount, which is 100,000 that you can get under the California Earthquake Authority currently. In contrast, if they do have a master policy earthquake coverage, at that point, the agent needs to find out how much dwelling coverage there is, what's the earthquake deductible, figure that out, and then divide between how many unit owners there is, and then that will let the unit owner know what their minimum assessment will be to cover that deductible. Another reason a very knowledgeable agent writing your HO6 we saw all kinds of things in the Northridge earthquake in terms of how carriers were responding to those claims. Now, you mentioned the California Earthquake Authority, which we can talk about briefly. That is a quasi-governmental entity. It was formed in 1996, I believe, two years after the Northridge earthquake, to help stabilize the real estate marketplace because no one wanted to write homeowners policies in California because they were required to write earthquake coverage, or at least offer earthquake coverage every time they wrote a homeowners policy. And so the California legislature developed the California Earthquake Authority, the CEA, as it's often referenced by, which is an entity that provides earthquake coverage for homeowners, condominium unit owners, mobile homeowners, duplexes, I think. You are correct. Duplexes also, Tim. So could you talk a little bit about how the pricing and stuff works on that and why, again, we'd want to maintain at least $100,000 worth of earthquake loss assessment coverage if necessary? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, the California Earthquake Authority as different rates uh, for various coverages. They have four coverages, but one of the coverages they bundle together, but the primary coverage that we are really hyper-focused on in regards to the master policy really does have to do with the loss assessment coverage. There's a little bit of coordination also with the master policy, earthquake master policy on building property. We can kind of get into that later, but what we usually want to find out first is what is that special assessment going to look like? And as I mentioned, it's one of two roads, either one, they don't have earthquake coverage, in which case they should carry the maximum loss assessment coverage. Now, depending on where the condo unit is, that maximum coverage could be anywhere from $150-$200 per year, all the way to an excess of $1,000 per year. Wow, that's a big range. For that 1000 depending on a location of the condo. And so I, I tell people, if you are in certain areas where that are not earthquake prone, there's certain areas down towards San Diego, not where all the earthquake happens, but a little more north in Carlsbad area, it might only be in the 200 to $300 range for $1,000 or $100,000 of earthquake coverage. On the other hand, if you had a high risk area, whether it's San Francisco or certain areas in the San Fernando Valley, those areas are going to have more significant premiums because of the historical chance of loss in those areas. So you don't set those rates, do you, Eric? I wish I could. I would be low for everybody. But <laughs> in, in my case, uh, no, that I've had the privilege of hearing the CEO of the California Earthquake Authority speak many times. And one thing that he emphasizes is that the rates are based on actuarial science, based on the likelihood of earthquake happening in certain areas and it's scientifically based it's not random or 
whimsical, if you will. It's primarily based upon this actuarial chance of loss in an area. Wow, that's interesting. The different agents quoting the same risk is going to have the same premium though, right? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I, I'd like to tell people it's the same when you decide to do your flood insurance through the National Flood Insurance Program. Assuming the inputs are the same, there should be a uniform rate. Right. You mentioned the National Flood Insurance Program. There's also a loss assessment coverage tied to that program, is there not? That's a great question. This is something that, uh, interestingly, a lot of agents do not know, is that you can get flood insurance. However, for flood insurance, you can only get as an individual unit owner, you can only get what is called building property coverage, and you can also only get contents coverage. You cannot get additional living expense coverage under the national flood insurance policy for individual unit owners. However, you can get loss assessment underneath their definition of building property. They do include loss assessment. So if you do buy their maximum coverage of building property for individual unit owner, they also are covering loss assessment as part of that building property coverage. I'll be darned. That's very cool. And it's, you have to know that it's in the language. Most agents I talk to about it uh, seem surprised once I mention that's in the definition. And when I saw it in the definition, I called the National Flood Insurance Program and they did confirm that their building property coverage not only includes building property, but also a special assessment from the HOA for a special assessment if they had a shortfall of flood insurance coverage or they had no flood insurance coverage. So even if the HOA decides they're not going to carry flood insurance on all buildings, because many times HOAs will only cover flood insurance on the buildings in a flood zone, but that's no guarantee that flood damage will only happen to those buildings. It just means those are the only buildings that will have the coverage. And so in those moments and those HOAs that I deal with where I know there's flood insurance because some of the buildings are in flood areas, I always mention that they should consider having the individual flood insurance as well to cover a special assessment for flood insurance. This is another reason that I depend on Eric Little for information because the only other agent I've ever met knows anything about this loss assessment provision within the flood program. So I had to talk to you, Eric. Thank you, Tim. That's very kind. You know, one of the things that I'm confused by is how do you know when someone calls you and requests an HO6, how much improvements they have inside their unit. I mean, for example, I had a unit owner who lived on one of the high-rise buildings on the Wilshire Corridor in West LA. And she had spent two and a half to $3 million putting gold leaf on her crown moldings throughout her unit. Now, the board did not want those things picked up. So I'm assuming there's some agent or broker who wrote an HO6 for her that tried to uh, pick up her improvements, but probably had no idea that she spent that much. That's an extreme case, but is there a general gauge of how you decide how much real property improvements might be? Yeah. So there's a software, just as there's software for the commercial insurance community to figure out what kind of a baseline should be for replacement cost. In the insurance world, there's also a company by the name of Exactware 360. And Exactware 360, about two, three years ago, I mean, it may have been three or four years ago, started offering a option where you could do a replacement cost estimate for betterment and improvements only. And it has a lot of specifications where if you want, you can include electrical, depending on what the CCNRs say, if that needs to be included. It can include plumbing. It can include attached garage. Again, depending on what the CCNRs say is the responsibility of the individual unit owner. And so that's something we try to go through with very religiously, if you will, with the unit owner, if they want to have the most exact computation of what that number should look like or what we would say would be our minimum recommendation is what comes out of that. And it goes to all the features of the house, like 
what amount of wainscoting should they have or baseboards or what kind of countertops do they have? Do they have tile? All those things are in there. This sounds like a great tool. Well, if the agent's doing a good job, that's usually going to take at least 15 to 20 minutes of going through that part with the unit owner if they want to be very specific. It's not something that can be done. It's not just a snap of a finger. I always like to say a good HS6 policy put together is not fast food. Right. Well done. And they, they don't really care about the coverage until there's a time of loss. And then there's, then there's all they do is focus on the coverage and they couldn't care how much they paid for it. Absolutely correct. Very, very frustrating. What do you think is the most confusing thing about writing HO6s and master policies? Well, I think what I come across the most is the kind of, as I had kind of mentioned before, the issue of them saying, well, I really only want what I need to, in order to try to, you know, have the HOA be happy or have my lender be happy. It became, without getting too deep into the weeds here, it became a requirement some years ago for financing that there had to either be an individual HO6 policy or there had to be proof from the master policy that betterments and improvements were covered. And that rule has evolved a little bit uh, since its original inception. I, I want to say, I believe it initially started around 2012 or 13. And that rule has evolved somewhat in that uh, they don't specifically make them do certain things that they used to, but it just depends on the lender. I have had lenders that have required us to show them the replacement cost estimate I previously mentioned, and then show the individual policy that showed that there was the actual amount of coverage on the individual policy. And I think they're coming from the same perspective as the single family home people that I insure. The individual bank will say, we want to see that there's 600,000 of dwelling coverage uh, because that's what the replacement cost estimate is saying there needs to be. And so we're seeing a similar type trend with lenders where, again, it wasn't so prevalent when in this rule first came out, but as again, as HOA boards are more and more saying we're not covering the betterments and improvements, we're having more and more communication with individual lenders saying we want to see what's on their individual policy and make sure it lines up with what the replacement cost is. So we're not only having to supply them with the individual coverage, you know, the declaration page that shows them as additional insured, but we're also having to supply them with the replacement cost estimate that shows that they're carrying at least that much coverage. Wow, it gets more complex, but they're really concerned, as any lender is, about protecting their collateral. I mean, they just want to make sure their collateral is protected. If there's a loss, their borrower won't walk away, I assume. Correct. That's the whole point of it. Sometimes there's some education that needs to go on with the lender, because sometimes lenders will say they want to see enough coverage to cover their loan. And those two things are not required. In fact, in California, there's even a law that says they can't require the individual unit owner or homeowner to carry coverage to cover the loan. They can only do it to cover the replacement cost of either the individual home or the individual betterments and improvements with inside the unit that are the unit owner's responsibility. Let's shift gears down and talk a little bit about liability coverage and where the master policy stops as you see it and where the individual unit owner policy begins. Sure. And this is another one where the individual unit owner a lot of times thinks that they are going to be okay with the master policy. And as, as you know, Tim, there's very limited liability for the individual unit owner under the master policy. Specifically, most master policies say the liability only picks up for any liability of the owner for the maintenance, upkeep, and repair of the common area. So if the loss doesn't include that type of 
liability loss of the maintenance, upkeep, and repair of the common area, then there's no coverage. And I always say the overwhelming majority of liability claims that I've taken in 23 plus years of being an agent have to do with either the individual, something happening on the inside of the unit owner's location, or when they're out in public, they could be in a public place and have someone trip and fall over them or something of that nature. They could be walking their dog and the dog could potentially injure someone with a bite or something of that nature. In both of those cases, neither of those types of claims are covered under the individual master policy for liability. Similarly, in some cases, there can even be liability for a property damage loss. doesn't always have to be bodily injury. Sometimes there is property damage liability claims made against a unit owner. And again, if that's due to the unit owner negligence. Uh, Left a candle burning, went to Ralph's and grocery shopping, came back, the unit was gone. I actually had this experience in a, in a condo in Brentwood where a plumber had told a unit owner to turn off their bathtub and they had failed to do so. So they left, they did not turn the bathtub off and they let it run and it ended up damaging four units. And I think if I'm not mistaken, I want to say the damage paid out under that individual unit owner policy was over 200,000 to other units. How much liability coverage should an average unit owner have? So this gets into kind of a more overarching conversation, but I'll start with the generality that's state specific uh, and everyone can kind of push this to their individual needs. But I always say the recommendation I give is that you should have at least as much liability as you could have taken from you in a liability judgment in the state that you live in. In California, if someone prevails against you in a liability or property damage judgment, to satisfy that judgment, they can come after you for two things. One is all current assets. Two is future income up to 25% for up to 20 years under wage garnishment law. And from my conversation with other agents uh, in national groups that I'm in, this is a pretty common amount. So a lot of times I like to start out at just a million dollars. And sometimes, again, there's not a huge difference there between the base. The NAIC model gives a basic amount of 100000 in most cases. The NAIC is the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, correct? Correct. That's correct, Tim. That, and that basic model usually gives out 100000 But to go to a million, at least with my particular company in my particular state, is about, uh, if you just do bodily injury and property damage, it's about $85 additional a year for 10 times more coverage. To have the million versus having that. And granted, many people have net worths and income greater than that. At which point you should consider buying what's called the personal liability umbrella policy. That's kind of a more overarching discussion having to do with your auto insurance as well. But for our purposes, at a minimum, I say you, the starting point should be a million. And then based upon what your income and assets are, you should probably supplement that with the personal liability umbrella policy. An umbrella on top of that. And you just touched on the fact that it potentially could go over the top of your vehicle, your RV, your motorcycle. Correct. And many people have it. And it continues to surprise me how many high net worth individuals I've met where they are carrying very, very low coverage. And in many cases, their net worth's in the millions of dollars. And there's no obligation by the insurance company to pay a judgment above what the coverage limit is. So I recently was involved uh, with a client where they had a judgment. It did involve bodily injury from an auto accident, but the amount paid out was $4 million. It did involve severe injuries to the other party, but it's a great example that there's no obligation had they only had minimum coverage for the insurance company to go up to that $4 million. The individual 
can have the other party come after them for those assets uh, and also for that future income to satisfy that judgment. So interesting and scary at the same time. Correct. Well, I always like to say, if you believe it's a scary and, and the best thing that can be done is to offset that concern is to have a, a large amount of liability coverage. And it's why I carry a significant umbrella myself, because I have a concern that I don't believe anything bad is going to happen. I, I tend to be more of an optimistic personality, believe it or not, regardless of my occupation. And yet I still carry that umbrella in the hope that I never have to use it. Can you talk to us a little bit about the phrase additional living expense? I think it's a great deal of confusion arises because people think additional living. Oh, I just want to live. What does living expense mean and, and how does it protect individual unit owners? So with additional living expense, you have all the expenses that are additional now that you're not able to live where you are at. And this gets confusing for some because some believe this means that we're going to make your mortgage payment for you. And, and that's actually not the case. You owe nothing on your individual property, but you are now, while the place is being rebuilt or repaired, you're many times are going to have to vacate the premises and not be able to live there. I always like to explain, people say, well, under what circumstance does that happen? And for most carriers, there's three things that once those three things can't be done, it's considered unhabitable. And there has to be heating and air conditioning. There has to be plumbing. You know, you can shower, use the restroom. And the third thing is that there also has to be an ability to make and prepare food. And those three things being absent or any element of those three things being absent, a lot of times will trigger additional living expense coverage. The third one sometimes is a little nebulous because sometimes people can bring in food and, and they or may not, they may wish to stay even if they can't prepare food in their individual premises, but they still have that money that they have to pay if they do leave for a hotel, for renting a home. And that can be very significant. And a lot of people think it's only what the cost is of the hotel or only what the cost is of renting a home. But in fact, it also includes many other expenses that pop up as part of not living in your house. And that can be having to now do professional dry clean or taking your laundry to a laundromat and having it cleaned or eating out more. And I've seen that number, depending on the claim, being it not only the amount of the rent or the hotel bill, but I've seen that additional amount being the thousands of dollars more per month on top of the cost of the hotel or the rental. Specifically, I'm thinking of one where I, it was close to about $2,000 a month on top of the cost of the hotel. I think they were actually in a rental house, but that $2,000 a month, and, and it was not for a mansion, it was for a mid-sized property. Interesting. So is there a dollar amount or a percentage? Or yeah. So many insurance carriers uh, years ago used to say they would do, for a time frame period, they would say for one year or two years following a covered claim. The trend in the industry in the last five, 10 years, though, is almost everyone's gotten rid of that time period. Or if they do have a time period, it's only a 12-month period. What's more common and this is very was why it's very important that the agent knows what they're doing is that insurers are now only giving a percentage for loss of use slash additional and expense coverage that is a percentage of how much contents coverage they carry so let's just say for an example that they say well i'm only carrying 20,000 of contents coverage if you have a carrier that only is giving 40% of the contents amount for additional and expense 40% of 20,000 would be $8,000 of additional loan expense. If you had to be out of your condo for six months, you would have $8,000.
And so one of the things that I'm very, very conscious about with talking with clients, I get asked many times to review individual HO6 policies with other carriers. And that is probably one of the most jarring items I see in addition to the $1,000 of loss assessment is that they will have an additional living expense coverage of $8,000, $12,000, $15,000, nowhere near what would be able to cover, you know, even six months, much less a year to two years if they were out due to a catastrophic claim. And we're seeing many of these places where they do have catastrophic losses and complete losses where there's complete burn down. It's a minimum of 12 to 18 months, even in good circumstances, sometimes longer. The larger the catastrophe, the longer it's going to take, correct? Correct. Uh, a good example for just all types of homes, the campfire that happened up in Paradise back in 2017, I know there's still individuals that are out of their homes six years later. Now, those are extreme cases. But if I what I heard was correct, that after three years, only 50% of all homes have been rebuilt after three years from that fire. Wow. 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 That's incredible. Yeah. Any advice to a relative or friend who was thinking about buying into a condominium association, what steps they should take? I would just put out there, Tim, that they should definitely make sure that they talk to an agent that is knowledgeable, not go with an insurance agent for the individual HO6. That's just a, what we call a pop-up agent where, oh, this policy popped up, so I'm going to sell it. But they have some kind of experience in that because I like to say that with insurance, what you do not know can hurt you. And it shouldn't be expected that you as the individual consumer know everything about the insurance for a condo. You can find individual agents out there that are knowledgeable about these issues. And by going with one of them, whether you take all the coverages or not, or whether you buy all the coverages or not, at least you have the opportunity to decide if you want to spend the money to have that coverage so that when the terrible catastrophic loss or even mid-sized loss or small loss happens, you knew that you were given a thorough opportunity to purchase the correct coverage. And to me, that's the most important thing. I always like to say there's no uninformed decision that's an empowered decision. An empowered decision only can be made with information. And so hopefully the agent you talk to has that information because that will lead you as the consumer to having the empowered decision. Wow, Eric, uh, empowered decisions are important ones. And thank you so much for sharing your information. Folks, this is really one of the leading guys in the country with regard to common interest developments and for individual unit owners within those developments. How can they reach you if they have more questions regarding the subject? Sure, they can email me at eric, E-R-I-C at ericlittle.net. Again, eric at ericlittle.net. Or if they want to call my office, uh, they can call at 805-581-5460. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm going to flip this back to Ryan now. Well, folks, that's our show for today. Thank you for listening. We'd like to thank Tim and Eric for sharing their time and expertise with us. As we end our episode, we'd like to remind our listeners that if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for topics you'd like to learn more about, you can email us at feedback at hoashow.org. Join us next time on The HOA Show. To share or subscribe to The HOA Show, visit us at hoashow.org. There, you'll be able to listen to other episodes, find helpful resources relating to HOAs, provide feedback, submit questions, and check out other great stuff. 
The HOA Show podcast has been made possible by the contributions of Klein Agency insurance brokers, leaders in the community association industry. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast, its presenters and guests do not constitute legal advice. For more information on how the topics and discussion apply to you, please consult with your own legal counsel.